Uh, we're in a series today called Discover Yourself, and you can see the DISC is capitalized because it's an acronym DISC, and it's about the four main personality gifts that God has given the body of Christ. And it's very important that you, um, that you learn this. I know some of it's kind of deep and it's a lot of teachy-teachy, but it's really important because everything in your life flows through your personality, and God intended it for it to be that way. Your personality is your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. God speaks to you based on your personality. He convicts you of your sins based on your personality. The way you raise your children is based on your personality. The way you interact with people is all personality giftings. And it's so important that you learn who you are and who you are not. And we still have some of the personality profile tests available over here on your way out if you want to get it. Um, we are in part four today, so we've moved along. You can watch them online if you want to. But uh, it's very important you learn about your strengths and your weaknesses. All the strengths that God has given you, um, those are great. And you say, thank you, Jesus. But when it comes to your weaknesses, you should be able to recognize those weaknesses and say, these are the areas that I need Jesus desperately. First uh, Timothy 4.14. And for those of you weirdos that think that the commandments are only in the Old Testament, let me show you a New Testament command. It says, do not, do not, do not, do not neglect the gift in you, the gifting, the personality giftings. Now, I realize there's fivefold ministry gift. I realize there's gifts of the Spirit. We're talking about the personality gifts today. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Immerse yourself. Don't focus on your weaknesses. Focus on your gifts. If you focus on your gifts and you pour energy into your gifts, that is your destiny. That is your calling. I promise the weaknesses will take care of themselves. You won't even hardly recognize them when you're focused on your strengths. Uh, before we get into part four, I'll tell you real quick. I was reading about the life of an eagle. And when an eaglet is born, it's born with this solution behind its eyes. And after a few years of it living in that area that it was born in, the solution begins to harden. And it acts like a built-in compass that allows the eagle to always find its way home. Uh, to apply it today, I'd say the eagle can always find its destination, the destiny that God has for it. And so what happens is this eagle can fly um, uh, hundreds of miles away. In fact, it can actually get captured and be taken a thousand miles from its home. But if that eagle is released up to a thousand miles away, it can always find its way back home because when that solution hardens, it develops a, a line between the North Pole and the eagle's home. So it always has a, a reference of destination, you might say, a, a pinpoint to go to. And so what happens is when the eagle flies away from its home, that solution that it hardened, it starts to develop like a headache. It gets this low-level pain. It's, it's a discomfort inside of the eagle. All the eagle has to do is change course and start heading back home and that pain subsides and gets less and less and less until it's back to being comfortable now a lot of christians today you have this low level spiritual pain in life a discomfort you don't know what it is you're just discontent you're trying to be a good you know christian go to work come to church do your thing but you have a discomfort here's why you're not flying in the same direction as the gifting that god's put inside of you you're trying to be something you're not. You're going all kinds of different spaces. You're being pulled in 10 different directions. If you would discover your gifting, which is, the, is, which is your destiny, God leads you. The destination he has for you is based on your personality gifting. If you'll discover that through this series and start flying in that direction, I promise you'll have more peace. You'll have more joy. You'll have more stability in life. That discomfort will start to dissipate, it'll cease, and you'll be back to the way God originally created you to be. So I encourage you today, discover what your gifts are and fly in that direction. Amen? Amen. Okay, so today in part four, I want to talk to you about this. Don't change people. 
Do not change people. God did not bring people in your life for you to fix them, for you to make them like you, for you to mold them in your image, for you to tell them what they're doing wrong. God brought people in your life for you to enjoy those relationships, for you to encourage those people and always push them toward Jesus. It seems like when we first get in relationship with somebody, uh, someone we're dating, uh, a pastor, a coach, a mentor, a friend, whoever it is, uh, even with your children, when you first start raising your children, at first we are attracted to all of their strengths. I mean, we, we love the fact if they're a D, we love they get things done. They're decisive. They're going to own their own business, you know. If they're an I, we love that they're excited and, and enthusiastic. We, we love the C because they're intelligent. They're detailed. The S personality, uh, you know, they're, they're so low-key, pleasant to be around. And after time, though, after a few years of being in a relationship with that person, we stop focusing on the strengths and we center in on their weaknesses. And we think, now it's time for me to fix them. Now it's time for me to make them the way I want them to be. And we stop looking at all the gifts God's given them, and we start magnifying all the things that we think are wrong with them. We take for granted the strengths that we were once attracted to, and we, we so to speak, we, we put them on our potter's wheel. And we, we start rolling them around with, you know what, I don't like this about them, and we want to mold that out of them. And you know what, I'm strong in this area, and they're not, so I want to make sure they have this quality in life on them. And we use manipulative tactics. We're passive aggressive. I've actually seen people in relationships, and this is incredibly evil. I've seen people withhold affirmation to try to get that person to have low self-esteem so they'll, with a, for lack of better words, be submissive to the manipulator in life. That's an evil way to live, and nobody wants to be in relationship with somebody like that. Isaiah 64, 8 says, Lord, you're the potter, we're the clay. None of y'all are the potter. None of you, except for Jason Potter and David Potter. <laughs> And Harry. <laughs> but other than that, we're all the clay, okay? There's only one potter. We are all the clay. Every one of us. Even, and, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this, um, even with your kids, now there's not a lot of um, scriptures in the Bible on parenting. There's not. Um, and, and it's funny, the Bible doesn't tell us if we should send our kids to private school or public school. It doesn't tell us what year they should have a cell phone. It doesn't tell us what time they should go to bed. So when you see a scripture on parenting, when you see one in the Bible, you should really grab a hold of it because it's very rare. I'm going to show you what I think is the greatest scripture in the entire Bible on parenting. It's out of the Amplified Bible. And Proverbs 22, 6 says this. Train up a child in the way he should go in keeping with their individual gift or bent. This is why you've got to learn the gifts that your children have. Because you're not called to focus on their weaknesses all day. You've seen those parents that are always correcting their kids. Every 30 minutes, a different correction. Please, why are you doing that? Focus on their strengths. Train them up in the areas that God has gifted them in, and you won't even recognize the weaknesses anymore. They'll take care of themselves. You know, this person you're trying to fix or change in your life, you have to ask yourself, number one, is it even God's timing for them to grow in that area right now? You know, the Holy Spirit has perfect timing, and the Holy Spirit communicates way better than you and I do, by the way. Or maybe it's an area that they're, they're, they're weak in and you're strong and you want them to have your strength. Or maybe it's an area that God never wants them to grow in. He wants them to be weak in that area the rest of their life on earth so they will have to rely on him every single day. How many of you have weaknesses in your life that you need Jesus every day because of them? And if you didn't raise your hand, your weakness is pride and you're a liar as well. And we'll pray for you, okay? Even with our kids. It's not our job to change our kids. 
fix our kids. Our job is to train them in the areas of their giftedness. That's amazing to me. I'm mean, going to have five kids. They all have different personalities. My son Eli's a high C personality. So growing up, you know, I'm playing outside with all the boys and doing exciting things. He's in his room playing with Legos. And I thought, does he know how much I love him? I want him to come out and have fun. And don't you see us having a good time? He's like, no, Dad, I want to play by myself. And that C personality loves to take the Legos and fix them exactly how he wants them. And so when I would go spend time with him, I would go in his room and I couldn't touch the Legos. I would just sit there and watch him. And that was great. He loved that. That was his personality gift. It's so important we understand how everyone's gift is very unique to their specific destiny. So I have three points for you today and then a bonus point because I missed last Sunday and all of y'all deserve a bonus point. So today, point number one is this, recognize their gifts. Recognize them. When you get in a relationship with somebody, recognize them. Keep those gifts on the forefront of your mind. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all gifts are given by the Holy Spirit individually exactly how he chooses. When you first got in a relationship with that D personality and they're going to own their own business and they get so much done and they work hard, you thought that was awesome. Now you married them and you want them to take time off of work and go fishing and relax. That's not what Ds do. The only time they'll ever relax is if they're out of town away from the office. You got to focus on the strengths. That I personality, they always wanted to go out, have fun, do something exciting. Now when you marry them, you want them to stop talking so much and sit back and read a book. You can't have it both ways. You can't be in a relationship with somebody and, 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 and that person only have strengths and no weaknesses. The C personality, when you marry them, they're so peaceful, they're, they're detailed, uh, they're good with money, they're intelligent, but they don't have a lot of emotion. And you say, you're never passionate. You know, you never raise your voice. You never, you know, really verbalize how much you love me. C's just don't talk that much. They don't. The S personality, all peaceful, agreeable. Now you want them to be more ambitious in life. You have to understand your strength is not their strength. Their strengths are unique to their destiny. Your strengths are unique to yours. Um, I'll use myself as an example. I'm a DI. Do we have the picture? Yeah. I'm the D with, with a little bit of I, mainly D and then I in there. And um, all of y'all love me. All of y'all love me as long as I'm on stage and you're out there. But when you're with me one-on-one, -on -one, I annoy the mess out of you. You love that I get to the point quick. You love that I'm creative. You love that I like to get things done as long as I'm up here. When I'm off here, you try to tell me, John Paul, calm down. Just relax and enjoy the moment. I don't want to enjoy the moment. I want to work. I want to get something done. I've had so many people text me, can we just sit and chat over coffee? Heck no, we can't. Heck to the no. I don't want to chat with any of you over coffee. Tell me your problems. I'll tell you how to solve it. Let's move on. I don't care about nothing else. Let's get something done. You know, um, I have a, an amazing, amazing counselor in my life. Amazing woman. She's an older lady, uh, professional counselor. She also loves Jesus, but she's a professional counselor. And, um, you know, I, I spent hours and hours and hours talking to her. And I constantly mentioned um, three of my closest friends when I, when I talked to her. And um, the other day she stopped me. She said, okay, tell me about these friends. You, you always bring them up. And I told her, I said, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And she said, why do you love them so much? I said, I don't know. I, I, don't, I said, they're great. They, but she said, no, why do you just, why do you, why are you so passionate, passionate for them? Why do you care about them? Why do they mean so much? I said, you know, here's why. It's because they know all of my faults. They know all of my weaknesses. They know I'm impatient. 
They know I'm loud. They know I'm sometimes obnoxious, but they still love me and they still want me around. And she said something so profound to me. She said, oh, they love you unconditionally. I said, yes, unconditionally. I said, even, and I told her, I said, one of them even told me if I wasn't a pastor, if I was a, you know, worked at a gas station, they'd still want me in their life. They'd still want me. You know, some people only want you for what you can do for them. They only want you for your gifts. They don't want the rest of you. These friends love me unconditionally. And she said this, that is incredibly rare. Hold on to those friends. Don't let them go. Colossians 3.13 says, make allowances for each other's faults and weaknesses. Just how you want people to make allowances for your weaknesses, you've got to do the same thing for others. I read somewhere that 25% of the people you meet won't like you and they'll never like you. 25% of the people you meet, they won't like you, but they could be persuaded if you kiss up to them, they may like you. Another 25% of the people you meet, they, they will like you, but they could be persuaded, you know, through gossip and so forth, not to like you. But then that same author wrote this, 25% of the people you meet will like you, love you, and stand by you no matter what. Focus on those 25% and the other 75 can kiss your big Bible, okay? <laughs> Let the rest of them go. You focus on that one-fourth there. Point number two is this, you gotta reaffirm their gifts. On a regular basis, if you're gonna be in a relationship with someone and you want it to be a healthy relationship, you have to constantly reaffirm the gifts that God's given them. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, look for the best and always, always do your best to bring it out. Always. Um, there's a book called The Five Love Languages. I'm sure you read it. It's a great book. We use it here at church in our short groups. It helps a lot of couples. And it talks about how everybody has an emotional love tank on the inside. Every one of us. And that love tank cannot be filled by ourselves. That love tank is filled by the people we're in relationship with. And it talks about the five different love languages, the words of affirmation, gifts, um, acts of service, um, physical touch, and what's the last one? Let's see. Quality time. That's right. The five different love languages, right? Now, if you've done it, I'm sure you kind of know what your love languages are. I want to teach you something that you may not agree with at first, but give me three or four minutes to explain it. Then hopefully you'll agree and receive it and it'll change your life. Okay? Listen real close. The number one biblical love language in every single person is words of affirmation. Every one of you. Every one of you. Biblically, everything starts with words. Not even thoughts. Words. Your thoughts can be in the wrong direction. You read the right words, your thoughts will go in that direction. Everything starts with words. The planet was created by words. Everything starts with words. Right? Words were the word of God. Everything. So, let me prove it to you. Um, the reason you may think that words of affirmation is not your number one love language is because it's never been done to you correctly. It's never been done to you. I'm going to teach you how to do it correctly. The way you fill somebody's love tank until it overflows, I mean overflows, and this should be done to you by the people that are in relationship with you, is this. You affirm them in the area of their giftedness. You affirm them in the area of their personality gifts. You tell a D personality, I love how you always get stuff accomplished. You accomplish things that nobody else can accomplish. The challenges you face in life, they're amazing what you've produced. When you do that, this comes out of them. I mean, just flows out of them. When you tell the S, I love how you always enjoy the moment and you're so peaceful and you pursue peace all the time inside of them. When you tell the C, you're so intelligent, so detailed, you always make sure everything's clean. You always make sure the bills are paid. You're filling them up. The 
high personality. I love when you walk into a room, you just light up the room. Everyone is happier when you're around. You excite everybody. It fills them up. If it hasn't been done to you correctly, I promise you, find somebody that'll do this. It'll change your life forever. And you do it to your children, your friends, it'll change their life. Now listen, if you want to empty out somebody's tank just like that, you talk about their weaknesses. If you want to empty out the tank of an I personality, you tell them you're too loud, you talk too much. You want to empty the tank of an S, you tell them you're not ambitious enough. You don't work as hard as you should, you're lazy. When you say things like that, I can tell you, and, and they won't tell you to your face, but they're thinking this, I may love you, but I don't like you at all, and I don't want you in my life either. I, I, you can empty out a tank with just a one sentence, and you can fill up a tank with one sentence. Um, all growing up, I had, I had the privilege of having all four grandparents alive until I was in my 30s, my mid-30s actually. Uh, my nana and papa on my mom's side, and my grandma and granddad on my dad's side of the family. And all growing up, um, my grandmother and my dad's side, they, they were millionaires and they left us a really great financial inheritance for all us grandkids. Um, they always paid for our doctor's bills, dentist, clothing, private school, you know, all that stuff. Uh, my nana and papa, they didn't have that much money at all. But my nana uh, raised me. Um, anything good in me is because she affirmed it. She brought it out. And um, she's my last grandma still alive, last grandparent still alive. She's in her 90s. I visited her last week in Darlington. I'm begging her to live with us, and she won't do it. She's going to a nursing home uh, next week. And uh, I said, I'll do whatever it takes. I said, you took care of me all growing up. You know, let me take care of you. She won't do it. But um, when I was visiting them, you know, growing up, going from one house to the next house, every time I was in my grandma's house, you know, she did great providing finances, uh, financially doing things. But when I'm in her house, anytime I was loud, because that's my personality, she'd say, John Paul, you're so loud. Can you please just quiet down? When I was loud in my nana's house, she'd say, John Paul, your voice carries so well. Come outside and preach a sermon for me. <laughs> I'd be 10 years old and she'd give me her Bible and ask me to read scripture as loud as I could. If I'm running through my grandma's house, John Paul, you're always too quick running around. Sit down for a little bit. My daughter would say, John Paul, you're so fast. Come outside and let's race together. 55, 60 years old, racing her grandson outside. Anytime my weaknesses were visible, my grandma always harped on the weaknesses. My nana always found the strength in everything I did. I love both of them, but do you know who I wanted to spend every day with? My nana. I love them both. I love them both. But I was drawn to her. I wanted to hear her um, correction. I wanted to hear her wisdom. I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to spend time with her. I was forced all growing up to spend time with my grandma. We dreaded every minute. All us grandkids could not stand being at her house because we knew no matter what we did, it wasn't going to be right. Okay, the people you're in relationship with, they feel the same way about you. They don't want to be around you if you're always focused on their weaknesses. Nobody wants to live with somebody like that. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, love isn't selfish. It does not insist on its own rights. It's not self-seeking. You have to understand, if you're going to fill someone's tank, you got to fill it up with what they need. Focus on their strengths. Point number three is this. You have to learn how to relate to their weaknesses. Uh, relate to their gifts. What am I saying? Relate to their gifts. Um, I've had people ask me, they say, who should I marry? Mike, can you show me the DISC picture again? People said, you know, this is my personality. Who should I marry? Who should I be around? Let me show you. If you want to accomplish a lot in your marriage, 
you want to own your own business or be married to somebody that does, you marry a D. If you want to have a lot of exciting adventures and go mountain climbing and rappel down 200-foot waterfalls and, and be forced to get in a kayak by yourself and whitewater rafting, you marry an I. If you want to make sure all the bills are paid and everything's clean in the house and everything's detailed where it goes, you marry a C. And if you want peace and stability and loyalty, you marry an S, right? But listen, you can choose whoever you want to be in relation with. You can choose who you marry. It's not really based on this. It's based on the fact that they know their weaknesses and do they know that they need Jesus in those weaknesses. It says in 1 Timothy 2.22, um, it says, Fellowship with Christians who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. Don't marry a non-Christian because every non-Christian you marry, when it comes to their weaknesses that will destroy that relationship, they make excuses for them. In fact, a lot of Christians even do that as well. You need to marry somebody that recognizes their weaknesses and recognize they need Jesus in all those weaknesses. That's the kind of person you find. But if you want to relate to them and grow them, here's what you do. The high D, all they need is productivity. You do something for a high D, they'll love you forever. The reason I love Bob so much, it's not because of his handsome smile by any means. The reason I love Bob is because he gets stuff done around here. I mean, he accomplishes things that I cannot accomplish. He fixes it. If you see him on the property, something's broke and he's fixing it. And it's because I can't do it. That means the world to me. With a high eye, you always have to respond positively. You cannot respond negatively to no matter what their idea. I'm married to a high eye. No matter one day she wants to own her own business, one day she wants to jump out of a plane, one day she wants to go to Paris. And so here's how you respond to high eyes. You always say this, that is a great idea. Let's pray about it for three days and see if that's what God wants us to do. You always respond that way. And listen, after three days, they'll either A, forget about the idea they had, B, they'll realize it was a bad idea, or C, they'll have 10 other ideas that you say the same thing to. The S personality, they have to have detailed structure. Whatever they want to accomplish in life, you have to help them. If you ask your S personality child to go clean their room, they don't know really how that, they, they, don't, they can't create the way to do that. They're not creative like that. You have to show them in detail. Here's the list of how you succeed in this area. My oldest son, <clears throat> five kids, my oldest son, Logan, um, he and his wife I live in Conway. They have two kids, they have two grandkids. And um, last year, he's a high S personality, high S, very high S. Uh, last year, he made twice as much money as I did. And he's my, my son in his 20s. And he works for Sherwin-Williams. And it's because it's a structured franchise. He works Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and they have a list. Here's what you do to succeed. Accomplish this today. Accomplish this today. And he just looks at the paper. He just does what it says, and he keeps on climbing the ladder. He gets promotion after promotion after promotion because he needs that structure. Something else I wanted to teach you about S's is this. Out of all the personality gifts, they get the greatest rewards in heaven. Now, you would think the D would because they're more productive. They accomplish more. But the S has the less rewards on earth because they're just servants in the background. They're loyal. They, they, they do the same thing every day for decades. And on earth, we don't recognize that as big. We think, well, what have you produced? What have you done? But I want you to understand, Jesus said, well done, my excellent servant, because you've been faithful with little. I'll make you governor over 10 cities. So the S that doesn't get a lot of rewards on earth, they get a lot of rewards. <clears throat> they get a lot of rewards in heaven. In fact, I'll teach you real quick. Um, the only personality that changes when they get to heaven is the D. 
the D that wants to accomplish and get done and finish work and has to do something every single day, when the D gets to heaven, they become more like an S because the first minute they're in heaven, they realize the greatest work that can ever be accomplished and ever be finished was done on the cross 2,000 years ago. And when they see Jesus face to face, remember Jesus' last words on the cross? It is, it is finished. And so the high D thinks, well, what's there to do? And you want to see a high D relax? Send them to heaven. That's the only time they're ever going to relax. High C, they need detailed reasons for major changes. Anytime we change the paint color or furniture or anything, I had to go to my C personality child and talk them through it. Here's why we're doing this. It's better for the family. It's going to work out great. C's have to have reasons for major changes in life. They don't like quick changes. And one more thing about C's, they have no natural traits to release stress. So if there's something your C personality child or husband or wife wants to do, let them do it and let them do it alone. They don't want you with them when they do it. High C's are great at collecting things or um, um, uh, drawing arts. They're good at doing things outside by themselves, bicycling, motorcycle, things like that. So let them do it. Okay. Last point. Here's your bonus point. And I'll let you go. Point number four is this. Guard your gifts. Guard your gift. Just like you should not change people, do not let people change you. Proverbs 18, 16 says, it is that gift inside of you that's going to expand your life on earth. It is your gift. So don't let anyone minimize your gift. Don't let anyone try to compare themselves to you and your gift. You recognize your strengths because those are the reasons God's going to promote you in life. Controllers, uh, they love to manipulate us with our insecurities and our weaknesses. And they love to bring those things out to try to get us to bend in their direction. Don't let it happen. There was an, a great king in the Bible named Ahab. And he loved God and wanted to serve God at first. But he met this woman named Jezebel. And he was attracted to her, but she was a controller. She was a manipulator. And it says in 1 Kings 21, 25, there was no one more devoted to doing evil than Ahab, all at the urging of his wife. Now listen, if you're in a relationship with somebody and they can keep you from coming to church or they can keep you from serving God or they can talk you into doing things that go against your convictions, run from that person. If you're married to them, get counseling. If you're not, run from that person. That's a controller. That's a manipulator. Revelation 2.20, don't tolerate Jezebel. She calls herself a messenger of God, but she leads people away by her teachings. Here's what she would do. She'd say, God told me. God told me to tell you you need to do this. God told me to tell you you need to read this book. God told me to tell you <clears throat> you need to watch this video. God told me to tell you you need to start doing this better and raising your kids this way. You need to tell that person, I can hear from God on my own. I don't need you to hear from God. I have a relationship with him by myself. I don't need you in the middle of it. I got Jesus for that, okay? Last point, 2 Timothy 1.6 says this. Fan into the flame the gift that is in you. Make full use of the inner fire, the gift that God gave you. It likens your giftedness to a fire, a, a passion on the inside. The reason you wake up every morning is because you recognize you have these gifts and you're going to use them. Use them to build the kingdom, to build the church, to help your family. You recognize these gifts. It's the reason you open up your eyes every day. It's the reason you have joy in life, fulfillment in life. A thousand years ago in Greece, there was a famous race called the torch race. And at the beginning of the race, they would give all of the runners this, these torches, and they'd light the torch, and they'd send them off running. The race would last for days. 
But the whole point of the race wasn't just to get to the finish line first. It was to make sure that your fire never went out. If you made it to the finish line first and your torch was no longer lit, you're disqualified. You have to make sure your fire stays lit. So on the forefront of their mind, the whole time they're running, they're thinking, I got to keep the rain off of this. I got to keep the wind from blowing out. The whole time they're running, they're thinking, I have to keep my fire lit. I see a lot of Christians today, they're running, but their torch is no longer lit anymore. They're just going through the motions of Christianity. There's no passion anymore. They're not looking forward to helping people or getting people saved or building the kingdom. Nothing. Like, they're just kind of living on their own. Listen, I'm encouraging you through this series. Light your torch, fan the flame, run your race, and fulfill your destiny. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay.